0: I know 150 yards for folks at home. You know, football field and a half we talked to the commander of the canadian ship here and he said look that doesn't sound that bad but when you're dealing with warships going quickly these things cannot stop that fast that is extremely extremely close and the americans did need to slow down he said he heard the americans said they slowed down by 10 knots over the radio to make sure that they didn't get hit and even then it was a very close call so very dramatic and kind of emblematic of the relationship between china and the u.s at this point in time kind of playing out here on the high seas."
1: And that is Global News uh, Mackenzie Gray, who uh, got the assignment of a lifetime uh, (laughs) witnessing this real-life show of force with this Chinese warship coming about 150 yards of hitting an American destroyer called the USS Chung Hoon. And it happened during this joint um, canada us mission. It was sailing through the Taiwan Strait. And, you know, Global, it's kind of like a ride-along. We were there for the ride-along, and it's like, what did I just witness? Because when you see the footage, and it's stunning— um, it shows a People's Liberation Navy ship picking up uh, speed, and then it cuts right in front of the bow of the Chung Hoon. And they're the ones who altered course. And they demanded the ship move, the U.S. ship move, which you can't move you can't move them on a dime. They don't stop on a dime, and they can't just turn. Like, they're not like driving a car. Uh, and the Chinese ship did this twice, which the commander, um, you know, commanding the, the ship, the Captain Paul Mountford called a not professional. I'd love to hear the language he used at the time, but I'm sure it was more than that. Let me bring in Peter McKay, lawyer and former, former Federal Minister of Justice, Foreign Affairs and National Defense. Boy, I could talk to you about a whole bunch of stuff today, Peter. So I thank you for coming on.
0: Sure thing, Alex. Glad to speak to you. This was uh, this was certainly an act of probation and uh, emblematic of where, frankly, the relationship and the The military tensions have been headed for a long time now, and this is just the latest in escalations that we've seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess as defense or foreign affairs minister, you would have uh, been on uh, patrol of this, uh, you know, if you were in the place. So what would you have done? Because I don't know if this is necessarily like the start of, uh, you know, attacks, but they've been doing this provocation for a while now, like whether it's with air uh, power, they'll make their, their, their themselves known, uh, speaking of China. Um, but, you know, Global News reporting that the, the warships that China's got, they've been kind of shadowing and watching the Canadian vessel on multiple occasions. So it's not like they haven't done this before, but it seems to be more aggressive. So if this were on your watch happening, what would be going through your mind?
0: Well, that, you know, this could lead to an accident, yeah. frankly. That's one of my main concerns during my time at both Foreign Affairs and at Defense, when similar, although not quite as aggressive approaches, if you will, have occurred in places like the Taiwanese Strait, but frankly in our Arctic, in, uh, in other exercises, where China in particular seems to be hell-bent, quite frankly, on sending some sort of a message that they are going to assert themselves, that they don't recognize international rules of engagement, that they do not recognize, in this case, that this is international waters. Uh, the, you know, you have to go back a little bit to examine this, this incident, as you said, in the context of previous ones. But in the Taiwan Strait in particular, where you have a, a country that is Taiwan, that is not recognized by its biggest and most aggressive neighbor. And uh, these international waters, which were being transited by a U.S. destroyer and and a Canadian frigate, were essentially being told, look, we don't recognize Mm -hmm. that these are international waters. We are making claims that are not recognized by the rest of the world, by international bodies. And so therefore, we demand that you cease and desist. And that was the message that the, the defense minister from China basically brought to this Shangri-La dialogue, where it's interesting to note he refused to meet with his American counterpart, the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and so this is a, you know this is Cold War stuff. This is now countries staring each other down mm-hmm. and seeing who's going to blink.
1: Yeah, it's uh, given all the things that are going on right now. Certainly with Ukraine and Russia, and then you've got all the China interference stuff with us, and, and you know the vulnerabilities we have, and then you've got all this stuff going on in Taiwan. There's uh, so many geopolitical parts moving right now, and so I guess um, you know it wasn't a Canadian vessel that they did this to. It is an American vessel that they did this to, and I, I suspect it will continue like this. Or well, where do you see this going? Because they do want to attack Taiwan. They want that country, but it's so hard to know where that leads us.
0: Well, I think what's happened in Ukraine uh, as well, Alex, has possibly caused uh, the communist government uh, regime of China to take a bit of an appetizer suppressant. But make no mistake about it, they are are on the move. They're building icebreakers, aircraft carriers. They're out in international waters. They're making illegitimate claims uh, under the guise of these being about resources. It's not about resources at all. This is about... uh, A more dominant position this is about sending a message to allies and adversaries alike from their perspective that uh, they are to be concerned about and you know as the defense minister anita Nan said um, people in this region but i would broaden it out much further have to act and engage responsibly and you know when your counterpart refuses to even speak to you at a forum that is designed to improve diplomatic relations, to put these issues front and center and on the table and, uh, and, and and raise concerns there in a civilized way as opposed to, you know, buzzing Canadian aircraft in that same body of water, uh, being involved in this type of uh, naval maneuver, which was, as others have described it, highly irresponsible and provocative. Mm-hmm. This is of concern and, and has to be of real concern, particularly in the context of Canada's readiness. Right. Well, and our short, you know, we, we have shortfalls in many areas. Uh, forget about the 2% for a moment. Just looking at the size of our coastlines, yeah. the exposure in the Arctic, we need to invest in our military yesterday.
1: Oh, well, you know, we, we, we even if we did yesterday, uh, Peter, you you know, um, you know, we're just going to get those F-16s that we could have had, you know, eight years ago. And now we're just putting the order in. All the things that we needed yesterday, we're not going to get for 15, 15 years, assuming they don't get canceled or stuck up in procurement. So, I, like... The reality is, we're not ready for anything. So all we can do is hope to God that America, you know, helps us out. But I don't really know, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that to to m- besmirch our our front lines. They do with what they can, um, uh, but we just don't give them the tools. And I just wonder, are we are we at all ready for anything serious that could come our way any minute?
0: Well, Alex, I mean that's a that's a daunting question. I mean, we have uh, stretched our uh men and women in uniform, to the max. They're involved in domestic operations currently doing things like fighting fires and during COVID, helping with other emergency responders. But internationally, uh, we're not holding up our end of the bargain. And that is becoming increasingly obvious and, frankly, intolerable for our our friends and allies. We're not in this new AUKUS agreement. That's a reflection of Canada's state of readiness. We've heard it from the Chief of Defence Staff himself, Canada's top general has spoken about what keeps him up at night. And it's all the things that you mentioned and more. And so I think until we see the political pressure brought to bear, until the government of Canada, frankly, wakes up and says, we need to do this and we need to invest now. And we need to also, by the way, generate income to pay for these investments. Yeah, And that includes looking at our oil and gas and mineral, critical mineral sectors. So, There is, uh, to quote you, back to you, a lot of moving parts, but some decisions that have to be made very quickly. And being caught up in sort of this internal machinations around are the Chinese spying on us and trying to influence our elections is a distraction, a serious one. But we have to get on with, uh, you know, governing ourselves accordingly and worrying about our own sovereignty.
1: Yeah, well, maybe the prime minister can figure out a business case all for it. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, Peter, just because of your background and given you were at one point the federal uh, minister of justice. uh, Paul Bernardo, obviously a name you would know, and I'm sure you probably heard that he was transferred to a medium security, which caught everybody off guard. It was done, you know, announced on Friday quietly. Um, as the minister, uh, would you have been able to reverse this? Would you have reversed this? Because this is one of those cases where uh, Canadi- most Canadians don't think this person deserves any comforts, let alone, um, you know, possibly a move towards, you know, freedom at some point in his life. But what would you have done uh, as a minister of justice on something that, that, like this that you hear about?
0: Well, firstly it's it, I mean I, I'm a like everybody else I mean this was a terrible decision and it reflects really poorly on our parole board on our justice system more broadly I don't think he's in in, in any position to be a, a risk as far as escape but what does it say to the victims and the families uh, of, uh, of these innocent victims that he, that he slaughtered and, and you know it just it makes my skin crawl to think about that guy however it is a, a public safety um department concern when the parole board is acting like this. The minister seemed to be completely taken by surprise. Uh, I find that, frankly, hard to believe with a high-profile inmate such as him. Uh, I also believe that this is something that the, the cabinet should be discussing because it's, uh, um, it's again, a, a black mark, a blight on our justice system that this individual, you know, continues to menace the families. I heard the, the Minister of, uh, of Safe, Public Safety for the first time mm-hmm. talk about the Victims' Bill of Rights, uh, which was something I'm quite proud of that we passed, but it's never passed his lips or it's never been uttered by many people. <laughs>
1: Oh, we're losing to technology. Sorry, Peter, we got uh, we, we got a good way's way and then technology kind of sputtered out. But I do we got most of it. So I uh, if you can still hear us, I very much appreciate your time. And we'll see what, if anything, this minister does on the file. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome, Alex. Thank right. you.
1: There we got him back. That is Peter McKay. And um, yeah, uh, we'll see what the minister has to do or say. Uh, words aren't enough. You're the minister on this file. Do something. If Paul Bernardo is not the kind of candidate that's ever going to get out, and he should never get out, and if there are silly people in parole or silly people in Corrections Canada that actually think that way, then they need to get out of that job too, okay? They don't belong there. Then reverse it. This does not need to be a thing.